that you would speak to us through your word. That uh, honestly, God, it would be a, it's going to be a tough subject, a subject that is not easy to talk about, but is also something that most of us will feel overwhelmed about uh, any time when we go through it. So God, I pray that your word, just as you said, would never return void, that it does not return void, and that our hearts are focused on you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, the day my wife and I got married, I'm going to pull this up. Today, I'm going I'm to warn you today, we're, we're beginning talking about, matter of fact, the sermon title today is Good Grief, Good God. Um, most of you know that my dad obviously recently passed away back in January, uh, but a lot of this comes about uh, just with where we're at as a church, with, uh, or I even say as a church, as a society, being overwhelmed by things in our culture, being overwhelmed by the situations you may be in, maybe, maybe it's emotions, maybe it's, it's fear, maybe there's all kinds of things that come in. And, and what's funny is, as we were singing just this last song, uh, the day my wife and I got married was the day my grandfather died. Um, now, it was expected, um, but at the same time, I remember thinking um, that my dad left the night before. He left Wyoming, left his father's bedside to come out to Indiana where we were getting married. Um, and we had, we had talked about postponing or delaying the, the wedding, but we were told not to. My grandma was like, no, continue on. We don't know the situation. Anyways, my, my grandfather died uh, the mornings, he died at like 2 a.m. We got married on uh, Saturday, August 12th, uh, 2000. So it's been 19 years um, this year. And at my, at my grandfather's funeral, his, his statement was this. Um, before he'd passed away, they asked him, what would he say to anybody that, uh, that he could talk to? What would he say? And he said, just follow Jesus. And so I think the words of that last song, I will follow you, is the most important thing you can remember uh, as you face this. Um, th- if you've ever watched Charlie Brown or, 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 or grew up watching the Charlie Brown uh, show, you'll always remember uh, from that, whether it's the, the comic strip or even the, the cartoon, that Charlie Brown, whenever he was stuck or frustrated, would say two words. Good grief. And I think that's one of those things that you begin to, you know, I, sometimes I say that if I'm, I'm like, oh, good grief, what the heck's your problem? Um, but those are the two words that I think oftentimes don't go hand in hand because when we say grief and we say good, we think completely opposite, don't we? The reality is when we go through tough times and circumstances of grief, we think negative, we think bad, we think hard, we think difficult. And while it is all that, I believe that there's a way to go through the grief process when you're dealing with something that can be good while you're going through it and also realizing that in the good grief scenario, I also see that God is good through it. And so we're going to dig in today to scripture because I believe wholeheartedly that grief comes in many ways. You may not have experienced, like I didn't really, experience any close deaths. Obviously, my grandfather died, but there's kind of this expectation when your grandfather dies that, well, they're older. So there's kind of, but I had never really experienced a lot of death around me. I never had. And so death can be a scenario, but grief comes in many ways. As a matter of fact, I want you to think about this. Sometimes grief comes as a result of devastating events. 9-11, a tornado in Joplin a couple years ago. The tornadoes that hit around you, a fire, if a fire was to break out in your house, the flooding that's currently going on in Nebraska, 
of all places, Nebraska. I'm like, oh my gosh, that place is flat. Like the whole state's got to be flooded by now because there's no elevation. Those are devastating events. But grief can also come about with a loss of a job, relocating, conflict in marriage. Maybe it's separation. Grief can come apart as a a, a child graduating high school or a child moving on to a new stage in life, a child going into military. Matter of fact, the day, my mom will tell you this wholeheartedly, I remember one of the worst nights ever. My parents took me down to Denver, Colorado, dropped me off at the Super 8 that's right outside Mile High Stadium and left me there because the next day I was going into the Navy. And they had all that set up, and it was like dropped off, and I'll never forget the waterworks out in the parking lot. Mom's crying. I'm crying. I'm like, what am I doing with my life? I'm 18 years old, and I've just signed it away for the next four years. At the time, thinking four years is forever. And now realizing, for those of you who don't realize, that this week, on March 15th, six years ago, Sarah and I moved here. Time doesn't take long. Grief also comes along with leadership changes at work, changes in structure at the church, or changes in a class. Other times it may be infertility, miscarriage, stillbirth, abortion. All of those things carry grief with it. Every part of life in some way, shape, or form has a grief process. As a matter of fact, nothing is more shocking Nothing is more emotional, nothing is more final than the death of of a loved one. We had two years to prepare for my dad's death. When they said, hey, he's got stage four bone cancer, I I I remember hanging up the phone, and I looked right at Sarah, and I lost it. It was over. I was done. I was like, what the heck? You know, my dad's supposed to live forever. (laughs) He's a giant in my eyes. And through that process, we began to grieve. Sorry, you're going to have to excuse me. I honestly didn't even want to prepare the sermon. Um, <laughs> it's something I knew we need to deal with. It's something I need to deal with. But it's one of the most hard things you can deal about. But there are so many thoughts. There are so many feelings and emotions that come with it. See, your head is full of the exciting times. The memories, the joys, even the difficult times where I would love to explain now how my dad would discipline me, which at the time I didn't like very much. But now I look back going, man, if he could just discipline me one more time. Your heart is broken. You're not ready to say goodbye or deal with the grief. God has made us all unique. God has made us all different. Our temperament, our histories, our backgrounds, what may be insignificant for you, in a loss may not be so significant for others. I always think about animals. <laughs> I'm not one who really gets super emotional about animals. All right? I love my animals. I've loved my pets, but I don't get emotional over them. I don't let them control me. But the other day, I was looking at Sarah and our cat, Paisley, we've had since right before Ethan was born or right after? Right after. And I looked at her, and I looked at the kids, and I went, oh, wow, she's old. <laughs> And I looked at Sarah and I went, that's not going to be good when she dies. Because, I mean, 11 years old, almost 12, she's coming to the end of her life, at least with every cat we've ever had in, in our household. And I'm thinking, this is not going to be good. But 
We all need time. We all need an opportunity to grieve. We have to remember that not everyone grieves the same. And so here's what I want you to think about as we unpack this. Grief hardly ever qualifies as something good, but grieving is good. Grief, if we were to say it, we would never put good and grief together, but the reality is that grief will strengthen us in the process that God wants to take us on. And so if you remember anything, I want you to remember this, all right? In life, we will experience sorrows, but we can grieve and grow through them because God is good. Matter of fact, I want that to register in your mind because a lot of times what we feel like is that when we face grief is that we have to go through grief on our own. That we have to pick up our bootstraps to suck it up and not allow the emotions to come out. And what I realized is, and I know you've probably seen a little bit more, I've gotten more emotional as an older person than I ever was as a kid. I can guarantee you that. Like if you cried as a kid, it was like, oh my gosh, you big wuss. You know, suck it up, buttercup. You quit being a weenie. You don't cry, you don't cry, you don't, you know, don't cry over spilt milk, you don't cry over anything. But the reality is that I think in the midst of where we're at, that you have to understand that when you grieve, when you walk through a process, that you can, you can grieve. Now, I'm not expecting you to cry, I'm not expecting you to get teary-eyed or emotional, but you have to go through the process of grief in your way. And so I want to unpack that today and just ask this question. How can I grieve and grow through it? Again, hear me out. And I, I, I want you to understand this wholeheartedly. This is not a subject most of us want to talk about. As a matter of fact, most of you are probably going, oh, great. Here we go. Debbie Downer. We're talking about grief. Because the reality is most of us want to avoid it, don't we? We'll avoid grief. Don't talk about it. Don't mention it. Don't deal with it. When it comes, leave me alone. I'm going to go into my quiet little dark spot and I'll deal with it on my own. Whether that's punching a pillow, ripping somebody else's head off by the words you say, or just holding it in. That's usually how we deal with grief. And the problem is, that doesn't lead to growth. That leads to problems. It's like a cancer that's never dealt with. When you hold it all inside, when you try and not deal with it, you try to avoid it, it actually literally turns into a cancer inside of you that's going to destroy you rather than help you grow. So in this process, I want you to think about that through grief, I can grow. Uh, today's, today's verse, Psalm uh, 34, verse 18, nothing elaborate, nothing super great other than the fact that I think it's the standard truth. It's nothing deep, but listen to what he says, Psalm 34, verse 18, the Lord is close to the what? Brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Listen, when you go through grief, and you may not be in a grief stage right now, you may be like, man, I came in ready, pumped, excited, and I'm like, I just don't want to deal with this. But the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. So when you go through that trying time, a move. I was talking to somebody the other day, and I don't remember what, what brought it up, but I just said, I hate moving. Moving's atrocious. I hate everything about moving. I hate the fact that I got to pack up. I hate the fact that I got to deal with the emotions that go with it, because now you got to look and go, man, remember all the great memories that we had here? I mean, there are a lot of things. If I move, I might have to build or make new friends. If I move, I may have to find a new church family. If I move, I've got a new job. If I move, I've got to deal with all of these things that go on. Heck, deal with the cable company and you'll grieve long enough. (laughs) 
All of those things come into play, but what happens is we have to understand that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. So when you grieve, when you are brokenhearted, I want you to understand this, that there is no other time that God is any closer. Trust me, he's always close. But when you are grieving and when you are brokenhearted, he is right there. Why? Because God's word says it. He is close to the brokenhearted. In the midst of what you're going on, he wants to save you when you're crushed in spirit. Remember last week I said that the emotions are the playground of Satan. And trust me, whether you are a believer or not, Satan will always try and misuse your emotions to get you to do what he wants you to do and to doubt God than to get you to do what God wants you to do and to trust him. Satan will always try and use your emotions against you to get you to move in the bad direction, the wrong way. As a matter of fact, this is why when the grieving process comes up, most people say, if that's the way it's going to be, fine. You can have your church. You can have your God. I am done with you. I'm not going to deal with you. If God loved me, he wouldn't have allowed this to happen. You know what I'm saying, right? But the reality is this. We all know that grief comes. We all know that no matter what happens, we're all going to grieve in some way, shape, or form at some point in time. As a matter of fact, it may be a loss of a loved one. And God wants to use those times to strengthen me and encourage me. So how can I grieve and grow through it? Number one is this. I have to mourn at the feet of Jesus. We're going to be somewhat topical on this aspect, but I have to mourn at the feet of Jesus. If you were to read Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 4, it says this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Mourning is a natural process when we go through. When I go deal with grief, if I deal with whether it's a loss of a loved one or I'm dealing with something that may be a loss of a job or relocation, it's okay to mourn. In other words, it's okay to be sad over what goes on. Matthew chapter 4 is very clear on that. As a matter of fact, he says this though, comfort is promised to those who mourn. So in the midst of mourning, you're going to be dealt or be given comfort. Grieving in reality is an uncomfortable situation. Matter of fact, there'll be things where you may respond in a certain way and everybody else looks at you like, ew, what's your problem? Like, I didn't even do anything and you just broke out into tears. The reality is it's not them. It's you. You're going through a grieving process. And in that process, it's okay to mourn. Why? Because when you are being, or when you are mourning, you are going to be comforted. See, Jesus knew that we would go through tough times. He knew our hearts would be broken over things we experience in lives. I was telling my, uh, I think it was my mom or somebody else the other day, that to realize what's going on in culture, you have to begin to realize the weight of the world that kids are bearing nowadays. And before you say, well, hold on, I had it a lot tougher, I want you to understand that as a result of what is going on in the culture, what is going on in community, that kids are actually bearing the weight and burden emotionally sooner than you and I ever did. As a matter of fact, when I was a youth pastor, the statistics came out that said that the average 17-year-old would experience the equivalent of seven divorces emotionally because of the weight and what we put the pressure on with dating and sex in a relationship with teenagers. Seven 
divorces. Those of you who maybe have been from a divorced family would understand that the emotions of one divorce are overwhelming. And a teenager is not willing or able to comprehend everything that goes on as well as an adult does at times. That was as a youth pastor seven, eight, nine years ago, whenever that statistic came out. I read a statistic just today that 76% of teenagers deal with more grief and more loss now than most adults did ever in their life, even up to 10 years ago. You can sit there and go, well, they just need to suck it up, quit carrying their emotions on their sleeve and things like that. But the reality is that Satan works in our emotions. Satan works in that way. But when we mourn at the feet of Jesus, listen to what he says. Blessed are those who mourn for you will be comforted. You receive comfort when you mourn at the feet of Jesus. How does that take place? Here's how it takes place. When you are in a mourning and grieving process, you run to Jesus. You run to his word. You run to his church. See, here's the reality most of the time in, in, in what happens in a person's life. When the going gets tough, the first thing that goes is quiet time, devotional time. The second thing that goes is church. I'm done. I don't have time. I don't have the, the time, I don't have the emotional wherewithal to, to go and deal with these people, so I'm done. That's the exact opposite of what should happen. When you're grieving, you should be running to the church. You run to Jesus and you run to the church. Why? Because the whole point of the church, and hear me out, I hope you hear this out clearly. The whole point of the church is to be with each other, to strengthen each other, to encourage each other, to hold each other up. When one person's down and another person's up, guess what they can do? I can pick you up and help you out. I'm going to help you walk through the situation and scenario. If you try and go through it by yourself, you'll always be defeated because that's exactly what Satan wants to do, to single you out to try and get you to do it on your own, and then you'll give up. I mourn at the feet of Jesus. Listen, mourning was something that we have to begin to understand Jesus did from the get-go. In Isaiah chapter 53, which is the suffering servant uh, passage, one of the suffering servant passages, in Isaiah 53, starting in verse 3, and I'm just going to read verse 3, it says that Jesus was despised and rejected by men. Uh, or by men, a man of sorrows, and he was familiar with suffering. Jesus knew what it meant to suffer. Remember, Jesus was tempted in every way, but there was no sin in him. He was dealt with the same struggles that we deal with, and yet it says that so when we mourn, we will be comforted by Jesus. Why? Because he was dealt the same suffering that we deal with. So number one, mourn at the feet of Jesus. Number two, release your grief. Listen, especially men, you have to learn to let it out. <laughs> okay? I don't know what that looks like. I'm not going to tell you. you got to cry. It may not be you. But you have to let your grief out. You have to deal with it. Maybe talk with it. Maybe it's just as simple as talking. But holding it in is nothing more than bad. Matter of fact, there's this old term in the Bible. Matter of fact, we got a book of the Bible from it called Lamentations. But when I release my grief, when I lament over it, it's this idea that it's a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. If you were to read the book of Lamentations, what you get is a, a lamenting over the sorrow of the sinfulness 
of Israel. And so when we look at that passage, we can say, look, I need to lament over the sorrow or, or be sorrowful over my sin. But I also want you to think about this, that I need to lament or be sorrowful, a passionate expression of sorrow over the grief that I deal with in my life. It's okay. It's biblical. Cut loose. Quit trying to hold on to it thinking I'm just going to be tough. Lamenting is a good thing. Matter of fact, if you want, you want some lamentations, go and read Lamentations. It's honestly at times, and I, I said this to people, I'm like, man, Lamentations is depressing. Why? Because it's about sorrow. Sorrow over sin, sorrow over brokenness, sorrow over everything. We have to recognize something precious is gone and will never return. Look, I love memories. I'm, matter of fact, if you were to get me together, I don't care where, if it's the Navy guys, if it's guys I play baseball with, if it's my high school friends, what's the first thing you always go back to? Do you remember? It's the good old day statements. I posted a picture yesterday. Ethan is passed out cold because he went over to his friend's house, stayed up all night, then he comes home and he's gone. And so I posted a picture on Facebook. This is what happens when you stay at night at a friend's house and don't go to sleep. He's out cold. Well, guess who starts piping in? All my friends. Hey, that looks just like what we did. You remember that? I'm like, yeah, here's the bad thing. He's got baseball practice. He got and one of my friends. Hey, I remember when we did that too. And I was like, shut up, dude. <laughs> you know, it really is one of those things. You have to learn to release your grief. You have to recognize that the precious moments are gone and it's okay. They're never going to return. You can relive them and reliving those moments are great. Matter of fact, when I deal with people who have lost a loved one, you know what I do? Dude, tell me the great things that happen in life. Everybody wants to share the good stories. Remember the good things. That's part of releasing your grief. There's nothing wrong with celebrating the good things that God gave you. Remember, to deal with grief in a good way and to experience a good God, you have to remember the good things. Don't focus on the negative. Matter of fact, if you were to read or study and, and know anything about grief, depending on who you talk to, there's five stages or there's seven stages of grief, all right? To me, they all kind of overlap, but one of the stages is bargaining. I wish I would have said this. I wish I would have done that. I wish, I wish, I wish. The reality is we can't go back to it. Instead, we just deal with it. We release our grief by remembering the good things. When I celebrate the good things, those are the good things that can help me move on. I can remember the good things that God did in my life as a result. I can celebrate the good, exciting moments, the memories that he gave me. I remember who it was the, the other day. Oh, I know. I was, I was down in Warrensburg speaking of a thing on, on uh, Thursday, and one of the guys goes, man, you ever miss the Navy? And I was like, well, yeah, but not really. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, dude, everything I loved about the Navy would not be good. I loved being out at sea. I got a family. I don't want to be out at sea away from my family. I don't want to be away from my wife. I don't want to be away from my kids. I don't want to miss out on time. I don't. So it was good at the time, but right now I'm like, no way. I don't want to go back in. I have no desire. I have to release my grief. I can remember the good things. I don't have to bargain. We all need the time and opportunity to grieve and remember that not everyone grieves, grieves the same. I want to read you a couple of verses that I think will hopefully help you out in this situation or in this circumstance. But Psalm chapter 34, verse 17 says, The righteous cry out, 
and the Lord hears them, and he delivers them from all of their troubles. Psalm 62, verse 8, pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. The term refuge is literally a place of safety, a place of security and strength. So when I deal with those things, I can pour out my heart to him. As a matter of fact, I would even say this, that when you're releasing your grief, it's even better to pour out your heart to God than to everybody else because there's just going to be times where people are like, I can't bear it anymore. But God can. Why? Because it says he's our refuge. Pour out your heart to him and everything's okay. Number three is this, how can I grieve and grow through it? Allow the God of comfort to comfort you. Most of the time, we end up running to something, another person, busyness, chaos. As you mourn and release your grief, you will need others to walk with you, to help you, to encourage you, to cry with you. Matter of fact, nobody knew that better than Job. In the book of Job, Job lost everything under the sun. Anybody lost your job, your home, all of your possessions for the most part? In one fail swoop? Not many people have. Job in the midst of that cries out. Trying to understand. And listen, here's what God basically says. Job, where were you when I formed the earth? Where when you where were you when I laid the foundations? And Job's standing back going, Yeah, I got nothing, bro. <laughs> I have no clue where I was. I don't understand your ways. I don't see the big picture. See, God never promised us that life would be easy, but he did promise us that he would never leave us, that he would never forsake us, that he wouldn't leave you alone, that you can go to him with every struggle, every difficulty. As a matter of fact, listen to what he says in the following verse. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. All right. Praise be to the God and our Father and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Not just some comfort, all comfort. Praise be to him, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Here's the big picture, that when you grieve, when you go through the struggles, God is your comfort, but God will allow you to go through those things in order for you to be able to comfort somebody else. It's never easy. It never has been. But that's why a person who has been an addict can provide comfort and encouragement to another person who's been an addict because they've been through it. That's why a person who's lost a loved one, a husband, a wife, a father, a mother, can always encourage somebody else. Matter of fact, one of the greatest lessons I learned, I honestly believe this as a pastor, one of the greatest things I learned was that I was not caring enough when I pastored before. Even when I thought I was being caring, when I thought I was being supportive, when I thought I was encouraging, I realized that when my dad passed away, I did a terrible job. Why? Because it became real to me. It was something that had new meaning, a new definition. So allow the God of comfort to comfort you so that you can comfort others. You need the comfort, and it's okay. 
It's okay to deal with it. When you don't have the strength to keep on keeping on, that's when Jesus picks you up and carries you. So what I could easily say is this, is that when you want God to comfort you, you have to run to God. And the last thing, how can I grieve and grow through it? And this is the beauty of it. This is really what we sing about. This is what we celebrate. Remember that death is not the end. You know, the reality is this, that good can come out of the worst things in our life. Is death a bad thing? Yeah. Yeah, death is a tough thing. However, the brightest light can shine in the darkest of times, can't it? The brightest light shines in the darkest of times, and nobody knows that more than Jesus. Why? Because Jesus' death is a powerful demonstration of this truth. In the midst of the darkest time, on a hill outside the city, the best thing in human history came as a result of the worst thing that could ever happen. Life was a result of Jesus' death First and foremost, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was a result of the sins of mankind. A perfect man, a sinless man, bore the weight of the sins of the world on the cross, and he stayed there, knowing that the worst thing in history was going to be a result, or sorry, the best thing in history was going to be a result of the worst thing that could ever happen in life. And what I want you to understand is this, that when we lose someone, when we grieve, when we've lost that relationship and the, 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 the connections that are a result, that we get to experience life later. Matter of fact, if you remember the verses we read earlier in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I would encourage you to focus on those things. But there is a promise that takes place in the midst of the death of somebody we know who is already a believer. See, God defeated both sin and death in the moment that Jesus died on the cross. Because if you remember this, that death is a result of sin. For the wages of sin is... Now, here's the big picture that we have to begin to understand. And I can't stand when I hear people say this. Matter of fact, it makes me livid. I, I will come unglued. Well, that person must have sinned, so that's why they died. Listen to me. All of creation is dying as a result of sin. Your death is sin. My death, it's sin. Your child's death, it'll be sin. Because the earth and everything, all of creation is groaning, waiting for the Savior. So those verses we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 when it talks about how the dead in Christ will rise first and those who aren't dead will be raised up. And we're going to talk about that. Matter of fact, I've been looking at what we're going to do on Easter. We're probably going to be in 1 Corinthians 15 for most of the Easter season. But I want you to think about what takes place. Remember that death is not the end. That death is just the beginning. As a matter of fact, if you want to memorize this or if you want to flip over there, I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 25, and it says this, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. This is Jesus. Jesus' reign is right now. And when Jesus' enemies are all put under his feet, 
Verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Jesus' reign is now here. It's what's going on. Jesus is reigning. He's ruling. He's sitting supreme. He's at the right hand of the Father. Everything is under him. Everything is by him and through him. But listen to me. When Jesus comes back, everything now will be at the feet of or under God the Father. And so you can read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But then that's why we jump to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 54. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, in other words, those things that die have now been clothed with those things that can't die. In other words, once we are resurrected, if I am dead, then the, those who are dead in Christ will rise up and they will be caught up to the air. Those who are alive Will now, those who are perishable that aren't dead yet but are going to be, are going to be clothed with the imperishable. Everybody's going to meet up when Jesus comes back. And listen to what he says. When that happens, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me, the worst that can ever happen to you, and I know that it doesn't take away the heartache and the hurt of losing a loved one, but the worst thing that can ever happen to you is actually the best thing that will ever happen to you. That is the only comfort I can provide. That is the only peace that I can provide in the midst of losing a loved one. Is there sorrow that somebody is gone? Heck yes. Are you going to miss the first? Or are you going to suffer over the first? You're going to miss the last times? You're going to remember the last things? Yep. All of it. Matter of fact, you know, my mom and, and grandma here, I remember just this week I looked at, uh, I was sitting down, we were doing something, I don't even remember. And I said, you know, the last time we did this, dad was sitting right there. But listen, death is not the end. Matter of fact, and I, I may have said this before, I remember we're sitting in the hospital room. My dad's laying there. His pastor, Jeff, and, and Andy had come in. It was just me and those two and my dad, and we're sitting there. And Jeff goes, man, Cliff, we're sorry. You know, we're praying for you. And my dad goes, he pats him on the arm. You don't need to be sorry for me. I, got, I feel sorry for you guys. And he goes, Huh? He goes, you got to be stuck here. This place is going to hell in a handbasket, and you and I get to go. You're stuck here. And I was like, huh. <laughs> and we just kind of laughed. It was like, and Jeff, our, the pastor, he laughed out, and, and it was just that thing. But we have to remember this. Our time on earth, at least according to Scripture, is but a vapor in a mist. Matter of fact, if all of eternity ran from here to the back of the wall, your time on life wouldn't even be visible. Your time is nothing because eternity is immeasurable. And your life here on earth is just but a vapor or a mist. It may appear for a little bit, but it's gone. And so the question is this, how do you deal with the grief? And I believe wholeheartedly this, that because God is good, 
that God wants to walk you through a good grief process so that as you go through that grief process, you will be comforted, you will be encouraged and loved, you will be supported so that you can walk through it with somebody else. Let's pray. Father, we know the promise that you have given us, that you would never leave us, you would never forsake us. God, we know that you are close to the brokenhearted. We know that there are going to be times that we don't want to deal with it. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to walk through the struggle and the difficulty. But Father, we know that in order to get through the grief process in a good way, in order to grow, to be stronger, to be equipped, to be encouraged through that, that we just have to deal with it. And we have to go through it. But God, we thank you for the promise that you are a good God that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross, that you promised us that we would experience life and life more abundantly through your son Jesus. So God, I pray today that maybe there's somebody here with a heavy heart and a burden that they just feel like they can't carry anymore. They need to share it with somebody. Maybe they need somebody to pray with them. God, I pray that we could be that encouragement. Lord, maybe today somebody would say, I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, so I don't understand what it means to worship and follow a good God. God, I pray today that they would understand that Jesus' death on the cross was good enough for them, and it's good enough for anybody here, regardless of what we've gone through. And that they can walk into eternity knowing that their relationship is right with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to